invite you to take your scriptures and turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, if you would. My entire family, when I was growing up, was born in Texas. Um, my dad's from Beaumont, which is down the road a little bit from Houston. My mom was born in San Antonio. My sisters were born in Texas. I'm the only Jersey boy. And uh, for years, every summer growing up, we'd go see all my, my grandparents, my aunts and uncles in Texas. And back in those days, back in the 70s, we drive this big burnt orange conversion van. You remember those? And uh, had the crazy paint job on the side, had the curtains and the little teeny windows in the back and the bed that came down the back and all that. So we had that because we were road warriors. We'd drive all the way down there from Ohio where we lived at the time and long drive. And I remember doing, we'd stay down there for two or three weeks at a time. So it was a long way down there and you know kids would get in trouble each other, my sisters and I, and so my dad would pull out the big box, and he'd open up inside where all the eight-track tapes, and I know you children don't have any idea what that's about, you probably don't even know what cassettes were, but we had the eight-track tape, and he would, he put that in, and my dad, he was eclectic when it came to music, he liked a lot of different kinds of music, but he liked all the old songs, the old songs, and I was thinking about some of them this week, and I still can't get them all the way out of my mind, but he would play some of the songs, and I remember some of them, that like, A Fool for You, not exactly top ten stuff anymore, Fool in Love with You, I'm a Fool for Your Love, Everybody's Somebody's Fool, there was a lot of foolishness going on, and what that music was, is just, even the world grasped that there are two types of fool, I mean, there's a good fool and a bad fool, somehow, being a fool most of the time is bad, but when you're a fool for love, it became okay. Now, I don't think the Apostle Paul would buy into those songs too much, but he would buy into the concept that there's two types of fools, two types of wisdom. In fact, Paul, since the very outset of this epistle, 1 Corinthians, has been on attack in opposition to human wisdom. And what this passage does is what's going to do for them, it did, is going to do for us, is it's going to force us to make a decision about whose fool we're going to be. Now, you can either be a Corinthian fool or a Christ fool. That was the choice then. We might term it in this way today. You're going to be either a Jersey fool or a Jesus fool, whichever one is. And that, that's important because in the context, it's the wisdom or foolishness that you borrow from depends it will depend or result in whether you have unity or division in your church so this text is laid out grammatically pretty easily there are three imperatives that help us to make the decision about who's full we're going to be and you can see them in the text if you look at chapter 3 verse 18 each imperative or command is introduced by the little word let l-e-t you can see them there in verse 18 says that let no one deceive himself that's the first one same verse at the end let him become a fool that he may become wise. And then verse 21, so let no one boast in men. Those are the three breakdowns. Those are the three commands that uh, the Apostle Paul is going to give us. Now, it hasn't changed much over time. Truthfully, in our day, if you look up at a dictionary, the definition of fool 
it means a silly, stupid person who lacks common sense. And here's the thing. If you talk to the average person out in the world today, and then you come in the church and talk to the Christian, you'll find that the world thinks Christians are foolish and that they are wise. You talk to Christians and they'll think the world is foolish and they are wise. And so Paul says, let me tell you which one of those are true and how you can live it out every day. So he gives us the first imperative. And here's the catch. Please follow along from the very beginning. Let no one deceive you. See, here's the, here's the difficulty for all of us. No matter if you're a teenager all the way to an adult. Here's the thing. It's possible that you can think that you were wise this morning and you are actually a fool. You know that's possible? And people can think that you're a fool when you're actually wise. It's possible that you could be here this morning and you could look around and maybe there are teenagers here and you really think that your parents are foolish. But the reality is, is they are really wise. But you can't see it. You know why? Because it's a self-deception. He didn't say, let no one be deceived by others, although that's part of it. But he was more concerned about this. Don't be deceived yourself. If anyone thinks... See, this is subtle because being the the fool of the world starts in the way that you think about life and all the things going on, how you frame things, your perspective. He says, if anyone thinks that he is wise... See, if you are in yourself thinking like, hey, I really know what wisdom is and I know how to get along in this world and I know how to live it out every day. He says, if you think you're wise, that's the inside. But watch, it's, it's a tandem thing. In this age, chapter 1, verse 20 says, the debater of this age. Chapter 2 and verse 6, not a wisdom of this age. Rulers of this age, 2, 6 and 8 wise in this age. See, here's what he's saying. He uses the phrase over and over and over again because there is a kind of wisdom that is characteristic of the day in which we live, the time in which we live. And here's what Paul says. That's not the wisdom of God. So he goes to say this. Hey, there's a wisdom of this age that is foolishness and there's a foolishness that is actually wisdom. And he goes to point that out all through this text From chapter 1 on, he says the message of the cross is foolishness. Christ crucified. To the Greeks, that's foolishness. Verse 25 of chapter 1, the foolishness of God is wiser than men. Chapter 1, verse 27, God has chosen the foolishness things of the world to confound the wise. You see the opposite, the ironicness, the paradox of it? See, there is a wisdom that God thinks is folly, and there is a thing in the world that they consider folly, but it's actually wisdom. And you and I have to come to the conclusion that Paul wanted the Corinthians to come to, is that is this, you are either a cross fool or a culture fool. So he says, don't be deceived, because, hear me, you cannot be both. They are polar opposites of one another. They are mutually exclusive to one another. Let me say it this way. The world standards of wisdom and foolishness are completely opposites of God's. I.e., the world says you can save yourself, and the Bible says only Jesus can save you. In our world, they practice marriage till divorce do us part. 
And the Bible would say marriage till death do us part. In our world, the wisdom is sex for anyone in any arrangement. The Bible says sex is only for a man and a woman in a marriage covenant. In our world today, it's very popular that you decide what your gender is, but the Bible says God decides. In fact, he designed what your gender is. Most people around you, if you tell them that you're a Christian and what you believe, well, they say that's great for you, but see, truth is relative. Whereas the Bible would speak that truth is absolute. It doesn't change based on people, circumstance, and time. Most people would believe today that people are themselves are basically good. The Bible would say, no, because of our sin, we are basically, basically evil. Not because we are bad as we, off as we could, at, sorry, bad as we could be, but we are as bad off as we could be. Most everyone today, maybe some here, believe the universe started with a big bang. But the Bible says it started with the big God. See, here's how it works. We struggle, as Christians, not adopting and adapting to the world's wisdom. You know why? Because we have this strong desire inside of us, and by that I mean morally, intellectually, socially, scientifically, whatever it would be. We want to, people to like us in this age. We don't want them to think that we are antiquated, that we are outdated, that we are following some ancient book that has no relevance in the day in which we live. We don't want to be put off as marginal people who are following beliefs that are far outdated, that we're not progressive. We don't want that. So we adopt the morals and the values and the standards of the world in which we live. And in times it seeps into the church. And you can see it in music styles and worship styles. And what churches have to go through. What they think they have to go to. To fill their churches with people. If you read the stats that are taken nowadays. You'll find that between non-believers and believers. There's very little difference in how they live. They may believe differently. But they do not by and large behave any differently. We need to act our age. And by that, I, might, I don't mean our numerical age. I mean the age in which we belong to. We do not belong to the wisdom of this age, Paul says. Someone might tell you your age is showing, and let me tell you physically or spiritually, that's not a compliment. So Paul says, here's what you need to know. If you're going to be God's fool, the first imperative is this, that you can't be deceived. You can't deceive yourself into thinking, hey, I can follow Jesus and have his wisdom and also use the wisdom of the world at the same time because they don't belong together. But he goes on to say in that very same verse, the second imperative, and that is this, let him become a fool. It's not just coming to the realization that these two are antithetical to one another. It is a change in your life because of it. Do you see in the text, look at verse 18 again. There are two words of being He says, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, ready? Let him circle it. Become a fool that he may become wise. And those two words are absolutely crucial in understanding this text. Because what Paul is saying, when you as a Christian come to the realization, here's wisdom to God, Here's wisdom of the world. Here's foolishness to God. Here's foolishness to the world. You are going to have to make a choice. And that choice demands a radical, a radical reversal of your life. 
But the radical reversal is not just a change to your list of religious do's and don'ts. What he's not asking for you to do is say, hey, there's a couple things wrong in my life. I'll get rid of those and paste to the outside of my life a couple new characteristics that will make me more moral or more acceptable to people at church. He's not saying that. He's not looking for some external moral reformation. It's not following some self-improvement manual that you can get at Barnes & Noble. No, what he's asking for is a complete paradigm shift of your being down to the very core of who you are. So he's not asking for you just to change what you think and what you do. What he's asking is that you change how you think and how you do it. See, how you think about marriage will absolutely change if you embrace the cross of Jesus. How you think about sexuality and your gender, how you think about truth and origins and why you exist, all of that will radically change down to the very core of who you are if you decide to be God's fool. So it's making an exchange. It's a trade. It's trading the world's wisdom for God's foolishness. It's embracing the cross of Jesus, knowing that it will change everything in your life. If you would, briefly, just hold your finger here and turn back a few pages, and I want to show you this choice fleshed out in Romans 1. You remember the two words of being, become? See, you have a choice. You will leave here today, every single person in this place will leave here today, and you will be somebody's fool. You will become someone's fool. Paul says, let him become a fool that he may become wise in our text. But there's another choice. You could become God's fool, 1 Corinthians 3, or you could become the world's. In chapter 1 of Romans, in verse 21, it says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile. You're going to see that in our text. They became futile, empty, worthless, useless in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Watch. Claiming to be wise They became fools. See, in the world, they think they're wise, but you know what? They have become a fool. And here's what Paul says for Christians. See, no, abandon that wisdom. See, the world has become a fool of sin. You become a fool of God. And you and I have to make the choice. We live in New Jersey, but we also live in Jesus. And every single day, that tension is going to be there. And the question is, whose wisdom will you follow? Whose fool will you be? See, today there are some professed Christians who think that they can claim the wisdom of the cross for their eternal life and also claim the wisdom of the culture for their earthly life. Paul would have you know today, it is impossible It's impossible. You cannot claim to live by God's wisdom so that when you die, you go to heaven. 
and then live every day the cultural wisdom around you and think that you're going there, he says. And then he gives us two reasons for that in our text. If you look at the verses again, he introduces them with a little word for. See, verse 19. Here's why you can't believe that. You can't just follow the wisdom of the cross to get saved and then use the wisdom of the world to live every day. Here's why, verse 19. For, here's the first reason, for the wisdom of the world is folly with God. If you think that you're going to live for God and use the world's wisdom, you are mistaken, he says. The wisdom of God and the wisdom of the world are opposites. The wisdom of the world is folly with God. So if you want to be wise in God's eyes, you're going to have to be a fool in the world's eyes. And can I tell you, that is one of the hardest things for our teenagers to get. We don't want to be a fool in the world's eyes. To say there is no sex before marriage is foolishness to practically everyone. That you're not going to go out and party and get drunk and whatever else on the weekends, that's foolishness. You as an adult tell someone they're talking about your religion and you give 10% of your gross income to God, you're going to say, they're gonna, what, are you serious? I mean, I put a few dollars in for like 10% right off the top. Are you serious? You're going to go to church. You can't come and go out with us tonight because you're going to church again. I mean, you went this morning. Are you serious? Are you coming back at 6 o'clock tonight? Shake your head. You're going to dress modestly? I mean, you don't dress provocatively so that people can see your body and all it goes... Really? It's difficult. It's difficult when your friends say to you, you mean your parents won't let you? You mean that you believe it's wrong to, are you serious? You never have done, and our kids, and so do we, we have to answer those questions. We're the only one. We're the only ones. You, are, you don't, seriously, you're in high school and you don't date anyone. You don't do those things. Fools for God in this age, right now, that's the rub, isn't it? It's the hurdle. It's the obstacle. We want the cross and its wisdom to take us to heaven. But while we live on earth, we'd rather adopt and adapt so that we can fit in with everybody. I don't want to be the only one that's not. Not just our teenagers, but us, isn't it? We don't want to be God's fool. It's too difficult, too much pressure. Too much being alone. January 3rd, 1956, five missionaries landed their little plane on a very dangerous landing strip in the jungles of Ecuador. Their goal was to reach the Aka Indians with the gospel, Jim Elliott being one of them. Their first landing, they met a few Aka Indians and exchanged gifts with them just to try to show them that they were civil and there was no violence or harm intended. So they built a hut and they gave them, I'm reading from the story, yo-yos and balloons and rubber bands and things that they might want to have never seen before. January 8, 1956, the missionary group was supposed to radio back to headquarters and call in to make sure everything was going right. 
and the call never came. Eventually, a rescue party was sent, only to find that the five missionary men were ambushed, and all of them were speared to death. Four of their bodies being left in the stream, the shallow stream, the one body never being found. All the men were married. Four of them had children, and one of their wives was pregnant. And if you tell that story to the world around us, you know what they would say? (sighs) What a waste. So foolish. Why in the world would they ever do that? Thankfully, Jim Elliott gave us the answer and didn't leave us guessing when he wrote before his martyrdom in his journal this famous statement, he is no fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool. You see, way before he was speared to death and his body left in a shallow stream, Jim Elliot had made this choice. I'm God's fool. Not the fool of the world. God's fool, and it radically reversed changes, changed his standards, his lifestyle, his values, his priority, what he thought was most important in his life. See, Jim Elliott was God's fool. He would say this if he could be here today, and I would do it again because I'm his fool no matter what the cost. That is what our teenagers need. That is what God wants from all of us. That we would choose to become a fool so that we could become wise in God. And the reason why we have to do that, number one, is because God's view of the wisdom of the world is its folly. The second little four is mentioned in verses 19 and 20. He says, for the wisdom of this world is folly with God. Second one, for it is written. Now he's going to give you two quotes. One from Job 5.14 and the other one from Psalm 94 and verse 11. Now, both of these quotes are in context where the whole point of the passage is for God to refute man's wisdom and show how worthless it is compared to his own wisdom. And so God would say, and Paul writes it down, here's why you can't put them together. Here's why you can't have this wisdom to go to heaven and this wisdom to go to the cross. You know why? Because they can't be mixed. You can't use human wisdom to get divine things. You cannot. You can't mix the two of them. See, we become the world's fool when we believe that secular psychiatry is wiser for our lives and the training of our children than the very principles of the word of God. When we believe that they have the answer for depression and anxiety and all the things that go wrong in our lives instead of the word of God. When we believe it's more important to make sure our kids are on a good solid team and do all the sports and get the degrees and all the education and get to the right schools. When we have made that paramount and God becomes incidental, we have borrowed from the world's wisdom. See, we become fools of the world. When we follow a materialistic world's counsel on how to handle our money and what our money should go for and how we're going to live our lives instead of following the principles of God's word and counsel concerning money. 
Basically, Paul is saying we need to abandon the world's wisdom when it comes to the primary issues that matter most in life. Moses was educated for 40 years in the courts of Pharaoh. But after those 40 years, when God called him to lead his people out of bondage, he had to re-educate him 40 years in the wilderness. Because it wasn't his education in Egypt that made him special. It was his desire to be God's fool. And when he said that he chose the people of God in the wilderness and to suffer them as a greater treasure than staying of Egypt, everyone would have said, what a fool. What a fool. How could you give up all of this and the future you have? And look, you went to the right schools and you had all the money. And he says, I throw all of that out to follow God in a, in a wilderness, in a hard and barren wasteland where most of the time the Israelites are going to try to kill me. I choose that. You know why? Because it's a greater treasure. How do you find the ability to make that choice? You become God's fool. Daniel and his three friends were shipped off to Babylon. And even though they tried to re-educate them and give them Babylonian names, what you find that every time they're tested, that Daniel and his three friends chose to be God's fool. Everyone was eating this, they wouldn't. Everyone else bowed down, they wouldn't do it to get ahead. When they said, Daniel, stop praying, he said, no, but we're going to feed you the lions then. He says, it's okay. Why? Because he was God's fool. See, that's what God is looking for in your life and mine. That's what he's looking for in the life of our teenagers. He said, let him become a fool that he may become wise. And that's the reasons why you can't put those two together. And verse 21 gives us the last imperative. It says, so let no one boast in men. You see, because they've been using the world's wisdom and become the world's fool and not God's, they were having divisions because it was all about who they knew. Hey, I'm Apollos, I'm of Peter, I'm of Cephas. It's all who they knew. They thought that they were great because of who they knew. You know, one time I was on vacation in Mexico with my parents, and I went into the pharmacy that was in the lower level of the resort we were staying in, and I walk in and literally stopped because checking out the counter with a drink and a Snicker bar was Dr. J. Julius Irving. I know that's probably passing over you too on that one. But he was standing there, and so I'm just watching him. And I couldn't say that. I, sh- I probably should have got his autograph. I probably should have said, hey, Dr. J, and he would have blown me off probably. But I, didn't. I stood there. You know why? Because I was in the presence of Dr. J, Julius Irving. Why did it mean so much? Because he was important. And I could tell people, like I'm telling you right now, I've met Dr. J and you have not. <laughs> See, doesn't that make me great? I know Dr. J. We had lunch together. We're bu- no, we're not. See, they thought, hey, I know Peter. And I know Paul. And I'm of him. You know, I follow him. I'm of Apollos. You know, I follow those guys. And you're going to throw some name around and some weight around because of your relationship so much with them. And all that it was doing was causing strife and division. And Paul says, see how foolish that is? That's just the way the world does it. You know what they do around boasting in people? And he says, you know what a really a God's fool does? God's fool only boasts in God. And then he's going to tell you why. Because everything is yours. Look at the text. 
He says, you know all those guys you boast in, Paul, Paul, Cephas? See, God gave them to you. You're boasting about someone God already gave to you. It's not yours. Or your, it's, we all have them. They're ours. They're God's gift to us. And if that wasn't enough, he says, let me line up the list and tell you what else God has given you. He gave you the world, everything in it. The world isn't your master. You shouldn't find it. You control the world, not the world control you. He says he's given you life, physical life, spiritual life, eternal life. He's given you a life that's never going to tarnish. It's not going to fade away. It's going to be eternal in the heavens. He's given you that. Death, death is yours. That is amazing. Death is yours. You don't have to be afraid about it. The grave is not where it ends. When you have the funeral, for you, you'll be more alive than you've ever been. If you know Jesus. Present things, that means everything in your life. All the things in this world do not begin to work for you after you die. They begin to work for you right now. Every moment is meant to serve you for Christ's sake. The good moments, the bad moments, the sad, the happy, the lonely all of those moments are working to shape you and form you because God says they could all be for you. Future things, all the blessings in the heavenly places. Do you know you're worried about who the leader is that you're following? Do you know someday you're going to judge angels? You know someday God's going to transform your lowly body to be like unto the glorious body of his son, Jesus Christ? Do you know that's your future? You know, you're going to be in heaven someday and all this petty stuff and all this stuff that we squabble over, that will just be a memory. And you will be without sin and you'll be able to make much of God and boast in him instead of all the things that you boast about others and yourself. Do you know it's all going to be faded away, right? He's given you all those things. And then on top of verse 23 says, and you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. Do you see? He says, everything Everything in your life is because of God. So why in the world would you waste your time boasting in this pastor or that pastor or that? Or you ought to be boasting God. Because every single thing you have, everything, comes from him. Puts it all into perspective, doesn't it? Why? Why then would we borrow the world's wisdom why would we be a world's fool when we could be God's fool? So let me ask you one more time. Whose fool are you? Let's pray.